Tonight, we're talking about getting answers to prayers. And uh, we, we touched on this last week. Uh, we'll continue it this week. Uh, because, uh, after all, uh, the, the least prayer and the least noble reason for prayer, we all are hoping to get an answer. Um, else, why would we pray? Um, and I know sometimes it sounds like I'm talking just to hear myself talk, but I, I am trying to help somebody sometimes something when I'm talking so much, usually. Um, it's probably not the most effective way to do it, but, but I, I do have, usually have a good reason. Um, and, in, and in prayer, like I said, just honestly, we feel like we need to, uh, we, we want to get an answer. I mean, just listen to our prayers. We're asking God for things as the majority of the most common prayers. Um, and so we, we all want to know how do we get an answer to prayer? Now, that's, that's what we want to talk about, and that may be an exciting topic. But if, if all you're looking for is for God to do what you ask Him to do, then I don't have any good news for you. Um, because getting answers to prayers is not get, getting all of your dreams and wishes fulfilled at, like a little child, um, you know, at Christmas time, making a list and sending it off. Um, it, it, it's, it's more, uh, it's getting us into the mindset in the will of God. Now, the good news is anything prayed in the will of God, even if it looks like it benefits me, is a yes. As long as it's in the will of God, it's what God wants, then it's a yes. So, so we're going to look at that, uh, uh, together a little bit. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite il- illustrations of that, a couple of them come from old days, and, and there are a lot of modern illustrations, I just don't know them as well, um, but um, uh, one is um, George Mueller coming across the ocean on a liner to speak to some engagements in Canada, to some churches, and if you don't know who George Mueller was, um, he was a man that prayed five orga- orphanages into existence without ever asking a person or telling a person any of the needs. Um, and so what he, he just decided to sh- prove what could be done by prayer. And so in those days in England, uh, orphans were all over the streets and there wasn't enough government help to help them or however they got help back then. And so Mueller decided to open an orphanage and he decided never to ask a man for anything, never to even let a man know his need. And he began to pray and soon he had a building, he had the workers, uh, he had uh, the food, he had everything. And then he found out he didn't have any orphans. And the streets were full of them, but he couldn't find any orphans to come to his orphanage. And in the book about him, uh, he, he said that he realized that he did not even have a need without God. That God puts needs in our life so that we'll pray. Remember, one, the first incentive to prayer was an empty cupboard. If you don't have a need, why would you pray? And so when we realize how much our need is, then we pray more. Um, but the story was, so I'm just telling you who he was. He wound up with five orphanages, never told a man what he needed. And God always supplied. And, and uh, there are some famous stories of them being at the end of everything, not having enough food. And him making the children bow their heads and asking God to, to uh, thanking him for the food that they were about to eat. And they said, you're crazy, there's no food. And as he said amen, there was a knock on the door, and a guy said, hey, my bread delivery truck just broke down. Of course, horse drawing back then. Um, can y'all use some bread? And 
fed the kids. Um, so he was on an ocean liner coming to the North America, the Kent, actually, to speak. And all of a sudden, he felt the ship stopping. So he went to the cabins, uh, the captain's cabin or, or the bridge, whatever you call it, place. And he went and he said, why are we stopping? He said, this fog is so great, we can't see through it. Of course, there's no radar sonar then. And so we have to slow down. We have to stop. We'll run to an iceberg. And he said, I've never been late for an appointment, and I'm not going to start now. We need to get this ship uh, across the ocean to Canada. And he said, sir, we can't move. He said, you need to move this ship or get me on a ship that can move. He said, sir, that's just impossible. He said, all right, well, then let's pray. And the doors were all shut. So George Mueller prayed, said, Lord, you know the need. You know I've got to get over there to speak. Um, I need you to lift the fog. And so he said, amen. And the captain started to pray. And he said, sir, don't pray. And the captain looked up and he said, for two reasons. One, you don't believe it. And for number two, God's already done it. And he opened the door and it was as clear as a bell. He said, now let's get to, let's get to North America. And they took off. So it was in the will of God for George Mueller to get here, not so that he could get money or whatever, but so that he could help people in their Christian life. And so it seems like a selfish thing that he get somewhere on time to speak. That he wasn't coming so he could make a bunch of money. He was coming so that he could do what he did. So let's begin tonight by just offering a prayer to our Father in heaven. Father, indeed, uh, we are grateful that uh, as many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they are yes. That, that's what you, the Holy Spirit, inspired to be written by the Apostle Paul. And so, Lord, since that's by your inspiration and it's in your canon, uh, we lay claim to it. That um, we, as we claim the promises of Scripture, we would find that the answer is yes. And that we give an amen through the Holy Spirit who fills us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in us and filling us. And, and, uh, uh, Lord, uh, we pray that we would empty ourselves that you might fill more of us. And we thank you, Father, for your wonderful plan. We thank you, Jesus for paying the price to turn your father's frown into a smile so that he would be our father and for pouring the Holy Spirit out on us that we might be empowered to be the church here uh, on this earth. Lord, now tonight, open our eyes to see the great things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Right there at the top top of your paper, there's three things uh, said about your praying to get an answer to prayer. First of all, you have to be in the, have the right motive. Um, where, where do we find motive? I don't have these scriptures written down in here. So you tell me, where in scriptures that talk about our right motive? Nothing jumps to anyone's mind? It'll give me one. Okay. All right. He, he's, he's looking forward to judgment, saying that would be a good motivation uh, to, uh, to, to pray, give you a right motive in everything you did or said. But, but we're in, I'm thinking of James 1, where he says, um, pick this up. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, I just have to find it now. 
where he says, you have not because you ask not, and even when you ask, you ask amiss that you might consume it upon yourself. I know that's James 1. Um, I, but knowing it doesn't make it so. It may, may, may be somewhere. Huh? James 4. I, I don't know why I always think James 1. It's James 4. Sorry about that. Yes, there it is. Oh, <laughs> no wonder we couldn't find it. What comes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterers people, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? So when we pray with a motive of our own passion and our own desire to be healthy, wealthy, and get ahead in this world, is the wrong motive. What is the true motive of everything a Christian does? What should be our true motive? To glorify God, period. To glorify God. Some people glorify God by having uh, a possession. Some people glorify God by having nothing. Because some people can't handle having possession. Some people can't handle having nothing. So God fixes those things and, and, and he arranges it right. So it doesn't matter if you have money or not or if you have an easy time or a hard time. What matters is that you use that to glorify God and in your prayers you have the right motive. God, I'm asking this not for me, but that your name be made great in all the world. That, that is the right motive. Secondly, it put, I put there the right mindset. And that I would say the glory of God is the right mindset. I've already kind of covered that. That, that our mindset should not be what I want. Our mindset should be what God wants. And that I be conformed into the mindset of God. Um, prayer, I, I, I don't know if I said this out loud in here. I've said it to some people who've asked me. My, uh, prayer is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. I'm not just talking to God. God's talking back to me. Now, God talks to me through his word. And I'm always careful to quick to add that. Does God give us impressions apart from his word in the sense that I'm not looking at it and he reminds me of something? Yes. But he'll never speak to me in that kind of reminding conscious way without it agreeing with or be covered by scripture. And so if you ever get an impression, he goes that from the Lord, go check it. Make sure you go back to scripture, find that that basis. Okay, yes, this is in scripture. I can move forward with it. But that'd be the right mindset. The right motive is the glory of God. The right mindset is to desire the will of God. And look at the third one, and the will of God. Now, how do you and I know the will of God? What scripture covers that? Okay, there's... Uh, Oh, the Lord's Prayer, yes. Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name. Yeah, that's right. You know, I knew what you meant. I graduated kindergarten. I knew exactly what you meant. Um, yeah. May your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So there's praying for God's will. What's another scripture? As my brother said earlier, there's a lot of them. I'm thinking of a specific one. Maybe you can think of one. Okay, one I quoted in my prayer, First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As many as may be the promises of God in him, they are yes. So I look for the promise of God, the, the, the will of God, for my prayer, right? I, I can't pray for... When, 
Well, here's the reason I lay claim to it. Um, let's say, uh, as a father, I promise my son, um, this Saturday we're going fishing. And Friday night, my son hears my wife and I speaking. And I say, yeah, tomorrow when I get up, um, I need to go down to the hardware store and I need to buy these things. And tomorrow I'm going to spend the day fixing X. And my son says, Dad, did you forget that you promised me that we were going fishing? Now what do I do? You go fishing. Because you made a promise to your son. The father made promises. And what we were studying about going, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. I am the door. We are hesitant to ask God to keep what he promised. God is God doesn't go, oh, I was just kidding. He goes, you're right. That's why I put it there. Since you asked by the authority of Christ, we come, it says in Hebrews, boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. And those two words should not be in the same sentence together, boldly and grace. <laughs> because grace is an unmerited gift. It's something God gives us. But he says, come boldly there and ask for it because he wants to give it to us. It's... He's what he is his desire to give it, but he won't give it till you ask. Okay, but let me go back to my original question. That was that was good, and y'all keep throwing stuff at me, makes me want to preach an hour each time. Um, how can we discern the will of God? It's in Scripture. We've we covered that. We find His will in the Scriptures. But how can I know that I am functioning or moving in the will of God? I'm just surprised y'all not catching this. Well, I'm, I'm looking for a specific verse, but fruit is an indication that I'm doing the will of God. Yes. Now, don't be scared to answer. I'm not, I, I, I used to have this bad habit of going, no, that's wrong. And I, I, I quit doing that because you're not wrong. I'm just, you're, you're wrong in that you're not thinking what I'm thinking. I just, I've got something very specific in my head I want you to say. Nobody said it yet. Exactly. So God does work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And, but again, my question is very specific. How do I discern the will of God? What verse tells me how I can do that? I'm really surprised Janice hadn't told me yet, but she's looking, once I said, she goes, oh yeah, of course. What did you say, brother? You said something. I didn't hear you. Okay. Yeah. We, and we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and actually, he gets in the neighborhood when he says that. That's not it, but he's in the neighborhood. Yes! Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Love God with all you got. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God is. It is in sacrificing all that we are and have to Christ and becoming totally his that he begins and then having our minds not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind as we wash it with the word, as the Holy Spirit reforms the mind of Christ in us. Now we can think God thoughts. We can think how God wants us to think. I don't mean that we have lofty ideas like God, but that we begin to our brains are in connection with his and we think his thoughts, that we, what we desire and, and think 
if I'm, if I'm walking close to God and I'm seeking his glory and his will, it's not likely that I'm going to be selfish. It's not likely uh, that I'm going to have a bad motive. It's not likely that I, I... And so that verse tells us how we can prove what God's will is. The conditions are I've got to sacrifice myself totally to him. And then have my mind renewed by the word of God. And when that happens, now I can prove, oh, I know that's the will of God. How do you know? Because this is what God said. This is what God's after. And it's not something that benefits me. It glorifies God. Now, let me ask you this. I keep saying that, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression. When, when I do something to glorify God, does that benefit me? Every time. It never doesn't. Um, we, we, we struggle with language and... I have this problem that I want to I want to get the details right and explaining things so much that I need to trust God more that He can explain it to you better than I can. But sorry, I'm a little bit thirsty. Um, but I want to I want to say it by an illustration, um, and especially in days gone by, maybe. But a lot of times I've met people, especially in my younger days, like I said that. They were afraid to surrender to God for this reason. And, and I, I, I became aware of this when I was a teenager. So what I'm going to say is going to sound juvenile because most things I say does sound pretty juvenile. But remember, growing old is not an option. Growing up is. Um, so uh, anyway, when, when I was a kid, what we understood that if we totally sold, we called it selling out. We would sell out to God. We were sold out believers. And we knew that if we sold out, that we had removed from the table our right, our authority to pick who we would marry, where we would work, where we'd go to school, where we would live. In our mindset, we were surrendering Every decision to God. So some people didn't want to, we would, because we would be telling kids, you need to sell out to Jesus. They said, I don't want to sell out because he might make me marry an ugly girl. Now, y'all know that, that one out of three people is the, are either strikingly beautiful or unbelievably handsome. So look to your left and to your right. If it ain't them, it must be you. Um, <laughs> that's just a joke. Okay. I'm just kidding. Um, but I mean, I, like I said, it's going to sound juvenile because as a kid, that's how a kid thinks, but God might make me leave where I grew up and move to, you know, in those days you're thinking, going to get eaten by cannibals in Africa or something or, or some remote region somewhere. And it was just, it was frightening when you're surrendered to God, the will of God is not frightening. It's joyous. I didn't say it was easy, but it loses, you lose the fear. You don't. Listen, our kids are gone. That's not easy. It's not easy on them. It's not easy on us. But it, there is a, 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 I don't even want to use the word peace, but there is a shalom peace, a, a sense of well-being that they're in the will of God, we're in the will of God, and it's okay. Because we only got 70 or 80 years anyway. So who cares for 70 or 80 years if I surrender everything I could gain in this world? And isn't that what Jesus said? You gain the whole world and lose your soul. What good is that? And so Jim Elliott said, no man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
So I, I just want you to get that mindset thinking about getting answers to God. I've got to pray in the right motives and, and motive and, and the right uh, will of God. And this requires both God's word and the Holy Spirit working together. God's word being the scriptures and the spirit. Now, I've kind of been talking about what the word does for us. It, it gives us the concrete. Um, and by the way, the word is not in a sense, open to interpretation. There's only one interpretation of it. There's gazillions of applications. There's only one interpretation. And and when we say that, we're always making sure that... It, that's why we keep looking back and can we find new man, uh, older manuscripts than the ones we have because we want to make sure that we are interpreting and understanding the will of the, the scriptures perfectly. But what role then does the Spirit play in that in everything I've just been talking about? The surrender to God, knowing his will, all that stuff. What what role does the spirit play in that? He draws us. He what? He guides us. These are all great words and these are all part of it. Any any others? There are plenty of words you could use here. He pricks our conscience and, and so that we know when we're sinning. He chastises us when we're wrong. He, he brings punishment when we need it, to not to hurt us, but to push us back in the right direction. All of that comes into play. What else besides? What did you say? He connects us to other believers. He helps us with our discernment. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharp and powerful, has Quick and powerful, sharpening any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit, joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, uh, quoting that verse, the Holy Spirit has to give illumination to the Scripture in our life, right? The Holy Spirit is a... Let me, let me ask you this. Uh, number one, the Holy Spirit is God, a very God. He is the same essence of mind as God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He lives in the church and in the believer. Well, actually, I'm going to say that later, so I'm going to save that. So, so how does the Holy Spirit work with Scripture then? I, I just said it. Just repeat it back to make sure you got it. He what? He illuminates, right? He illuminates Scripture. He makes it come alive for us. Gives us the understanding. That's, a, that's another word for exactly what I was saying. You might not illuminate. What does that mean? It means to understand. He gives us the understanding of his word. Um, and we need that. Have you ever read a book it just made no sense to you? And then somebody started talking to you about that subject. You go, oh, wait, I got this book. And then their explanation made it come alive and you could understand it. Or, you know, that's what teachers are supposed to do um, to help us understand things. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If, uh, as I said, a guy uh, asked me one time, he said, how come I can't read, uh, understand the Bible? I tried to read and I can't understand it. And I said, do you want a religious answer or the truth? And he said, I'd like to have the truth. I said, because you don't know the author. You're lost. You cannot understand scripture apart from God. This is spiritual discernment. God bless you. You cannot know the scripture apart from the spirit of God. Because he wrote it, he can explain it. He is God. Yeah, he has the mind of God. And, and he forms the mind of Christ in us so that we can receive this. I, and I wanted to say earlier, and I, and I kind of got away from it and forgot. I don't have all this stuff written down, by the way. Um, and, and, and that is this. Do you, do you understand? Because I, we're coming to a section on this paper later that's going to show you how the Holy Spirit does all of this for us. And that's why I stopped myself earlier. Do you understand you cannot worship God without the Holy Spirit? 
Do you understand you can't understand one bit of God's word without the Holy Spirit? You cannot get saved apart from the Holy Spirit. Because you and I live in a physical, this type of physical world, I believe heaven's physical, but it's also a spiritual world. It's both. It's a different thing than we know here. Um, but because we live in this physical world and we're limited by time and space and we know what we can touch, feel, see, and experience, um, that we work on, on this basis of let me observe and test and, and learn and figure it out. The Bible says in Corinthians, the natural man cannot understand these things because they are spiritually discerned. Somebody said the word discernment a minute ago. The things of God are spiritually discerned. You cannot logic somebody into salvation, even though salvation is logical once you are saved and understand it. But the logic doesn't get into it until you believe it. And I, I listen, I've argued with people and convinced them and that logically... They needed Jesus Christ and that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And they looked at me and said, but I don't want to. I said, now we're down to the truth. You're not, you're, you're not being saved, not because God is cruel, but because you don't want to be. Because you know you need him. I've explained all that and I've done that. I mean, that, that, I've had that experience in my life. So, so as Christians, sometimes we get saved and then we forget the source of our strength. As we were preaching on this morning, we got to be focused on the power, and the power is in the Holy Spirit. So when I come in here to worship, I don't worship because I feel good. I worship because the Holy Spirit fills me, and he, and he brings worship through me back to himself. It doesn't make sense to the human mind, because if a human were doing that, it would be for our, our gain, and we could not do that without a selfish motive. God's not selfish but God will not share glory with another, right? So the worship we give is pure, but God has to enable us to worship because we rebel against God. And so the Spirit has to save us, fill us, and then move in us to even worship, much less understand Scripture. Okay, so let me get, get on. So two conditions have to prevail. First, we have to be in a good relationship to God's Word. Uh, a good relationship to God, Sorry. We have to be in good relation to God uh, to get our request answered. Because, as we said last week, if you're not in a good relation with God, you're going to run from Him instead of to Him. It's it's not that, and and we and we showed last week. Scripture said, if you're living in known sin, God's not required to listen to your prayers. If, as a believer, you know that sin and you keep doing it, He's not required to listen to you. And we proved that last week. If you weren't here. Get session four out, out there. There's copies of it, and it'll be on the web or whatever, so you can listen to it. Secondly, then, to be in good relationship to God, we need to know and respond to God's Word. Um, there have been several illustrations given of this, but it's not enough to read this, memorize it, or even study it. We have to apply it, and until we apply the Word, then it's pointless. I could read books on physics or algebra or stuff like that, which I actually couldn't read those, but if I could. But it wouldn't do any good unless there was a practical application to it. It would make me feel better. Oh, I'd know more. And a lot of times in, in churches, we make church a comfortable place for people to go to hell from. We increase their knowledge, but we never change their lives. Or the, you know, and, and so churches and the word were not given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to us to change our life. And so the point is not that I know more. The point is I do better. 
Does that make sense? Um, I just put a note there, oratory, the power of prayer. Y'all can look that up. You can read it. Um, I don't have anything to say about that. But I want you to look in 1 John 3.22. And we used this yesterday in prayer as an introductory thing because, again, we are so American that we are lone rangers, all of us think we are. Now, he's not so much a, a hero anymore to our younger people because they don't really know who he is. Um, but when I was a kid, I mean, there was nobody tougher that we thought than the Duke, right? Okay, Pilgrim, all right? So John Wayne's the man. So everybody wants to be John Wayne. We all want to be, you know, the rifleman. We all want to be the Lone Ranger. We want to be the hero. Today it's Superman or... Some other hero, you know, the girls are all excited over Wonder Woman. And, uh, you know, some of the guys are too, but... um, Sorry, that was a bad joke. Um, But, you know, we all think of a solo hero. And that comes out of our American culture. You don't see that as much in other cultures. Look at 1 John 3.22. And here's what it says... And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, you see in the notes what I wrote. Notice the we. How many times in verse 22 did I just say we? You just hold out your fingers and count them. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. There's three we's in that one little verse. Well, who we been? I'm sorry, that was Gullah. Who are we? Yeah, we're, it's the church. It's always a we. It's always an us. And I don't mean W-I-I. It's not a game system. It's the church, right? And so, notice what it says. What are we asking? According to 322, what are we asking? Whatever. When the church comes together and decides this is God's will and we ask for it, that's, it says, what happens? What happens to we when we ask? We receive. we receive. Because we ask and receive because what do we do? Keep his commandments and do what? Thank you. So if we are, the condition has to be we're in right relation to him and that every action of our life pleases him. And it's it's his command. And that is for the whole church, not just for an individual. The church has to be moving in God's will and God's command. And so yesterday we had prayer time. And I keep saying that because I've made some extra copies of what we passed out. If you'd like one, you can have it. It's nothing dramatic, but I'll explain it later why you might. Appreciate having it. But one of the, my purpose yesterday was not to pray about things. My purpose yesterday was that we worship God and, co- and confess collective sin. And I didn't tell anybody what the collective sin was. I didn't say, now this church needs to repent of. We put two scriptures that listed sins. And I just asked people to read those. And if God spoke to them about something personally, to confess that first. And then if God said something to them about 
the church to just confess that as the church. And let me give you the base of that before you get mad at me. Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah and he sees that Jeremiah the prophet wrote, 70 years are proclaimed on these people and they're going to be carried into captivity. And after 70 years are coming back. So Daniel's reading the Bible one day, the book of Jeremiah, and he reads that the prophet said it'd be 70 years. And then he goes, let me see, I'm 85 and I came here when I was 15 and 85 minus 70 is, oh my goodness, this is 70. Minus 15 is 70. I've been here 70 years. We're going home. Look it up in Daniel. The very next words out of his mouth is he confesses the sins of his people of Israel. Saying we're in captivity because of our sin. And so we need to figure out together. And I'm not the judge. I, I don't want to judge that. But where we are ineffective, where we are not doing what God's called us to do, number one, that'd be sin itself. We weren't doing what God asked us to do. But number two, why aren't we being effective? And part of the reason may be there's something in me as an individual affects you or maybe us together. And so we have to go humbly before our God and say, Lord, reveal to us even our secret sin. It's what David prayed. Reveal to me even the stuff I don't even know I'm doing wrong that I shouldn't be doing. Help me with that. So that then we can turn and confess that to God. And so the condition that we're in here is talking about being in a good relationship with God to know and respond to his word. And the church, we need to respond to the word. Now, my brothers already mentioned one of them. What is the will of God for the church? My brother responded when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's one thing the church is supposed to be about. What else? The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we love ourselves. We got that down pretty good. Now we got to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, right? So we love God supremely. We love others the way God loves others, as the way we love ourselves, right? So obviously that's part of the will of God for the church. Another part of the will of God for church is to be the vehicle of the gospel, to carry the gospel to the lost. After people are saved, we are uh, an institution that helps disciple people into maturity in Christ. We spend a lot of time making people good church members, not a lot of time making people good Christians. And we got to do both. I mean, you can't do one without the other. But so that word we there, and I, 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 that's just a verse that really points that out. But the whole, entire New Testament is written that way. It's not written in, there are some books written in individuals. But the, 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 the New Testament is about how the church is supposed to function and be. So power in prayer is not just doing the displeasing, but doing what is pleasing. That's what it says in that verse there. It says, we get it because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Most of y'all parents, right? Isn't there a difference in your kids? Or maybe if you weren't a parent, you were a kid and had a parent. Isn't there a difference in my kid not getting, not doing something that makes uh, me disappointed? I don't know the right word. I don't want to say angry because that's not the right word. Uh, even though, of course, we get angry in our sin. Um, or disappointment, I don't want to say that either, because, uh, but it's not enough for my kid never to get in trouble, let me put it that way. But man, when he, when I come home, and I don't know, I'll make, I have to make something up, and he has gone above and beyond, I, I never asked him to do it, and I get home and he's done something, he knows that, why'd you do that, son? Dad, I just want to do that for you. Wow. <sighs> yeah, do the dishes. You know, 
Even if it's not done very well, it's just done something just because he wanted to make daddy happy. Now, I don't want to, you know, it humbles me, you feel horrible, but, it, oh my goodness. Uh, but it comes from a pure heart of love, right? That's how we are to be to God. We're not just trying to stay out of trouble with God. We want to, God, what would please you? Te- you know, and, and men are dull, by the way, ladies, wives here today. Your husbands do not get hints. You can tear it out of a catalog, circle it, put stars by it, write the date of the anniversary, birthday, Christmas, whatever, on there. We're still not going to get it. Just tell us. Say, go buy me A and just name it. Because then, oh, are you sure? Yeah. And then remind us because we'll forget. Okay? You do not have to nag. If you tell us something, you don't have to keep reminding us six months later about what it was we were supposed to do. That was a joke. <laughs> in, a, in other words, we forget we are dull. We don't get it. That's just the nature of men. Some of you men, y'all, you know, you, you got out of the man club and you, you, you're better than that. But I'm not. I'm really bad at that. So just say it. Well, I, I hinted around. I don't get hints. We don't get them. We're, we're not subtle creatures. So you got to hit us in the head. So, so we don't need to be that way with, with the Lord. We need him just to, we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I just confess I'm, I'm numb, man. I, I, I don't get it. What is it you want? Oh, I told you. See, the Spirit illuminates His will and we get it. You might have to write it down again just to remind yourself. Okay, so what is pleasing to God is not what I can get away with. Now, look in John 14. We covered this last week. But, but this is another great passage on getting the answers to prayer. John 14, 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice the purpose of the prayer there is to glorify the Father. Okay? So our prayers have to be in line with us doing what is pleasing and glorifying to the Father. And so as a church, again, we have to pray that way. Lord, we want to do what is pleasing to you. We want to glorify you. And that should be the, the reason we exist. All right, all that's under the first condition that must prevail. We've got to be in right relationship to God. The second condition has got to prevail is we've got to pray in the Spirit. All right, that's covering knowing the will of God through the Scripture. But now we want to talk about praying in the Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is not my inner feeling. He is the Lord God Almighty. Um, and, and I, I understand I'm talking to a group of mainly Baptists and, uh, Baptists have not, Baptists have done really well at ignoring the Holy Spirit. If you want to read a good book about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's a book written many years after I learned this, that I'm copying out here and and sharing with you guys. But so it's a more modern book. It's written by a man named Francis Chan. You've probably heard of him. He wrote, um, Crazy Love and another book, but he wrote a book about the Holy Spirit. And it, it, for me personally, and it, I always, it drives me crazy when people say this and drives me crazy when I say it, 
But it is my favorite book. Who cares what my favorite book is, right? But, it, but out of all the books I've read about the Holy Spirit, it is my favorite book about the Holy Spirit because it's the most balanced I've ever read. And it's called The Forgotten God or Forgotten God. I would write that down. I'd get that book. If you want to understand more about the Holy Spirit than I can cover in the next few minutes, get that book and read it. Because, again, I read it. And for me, I read it. I just was like, this guy's so balanced. Because we as Baptists go, oh, yeah, and the Holy Spirit and go on. We treat him as if he's not God of very God. We treat him as if he's not God, the Lord God Almighty. But he is the Lord God Almighty. And just, again, let me remind you, he is not an it. If I said to you uh, about Janice, and you said, where's Janice? And I said, it's not here tonight. You would go, excuse me? Did you say it? Yeah. You're talking about Janice, right? Yeah. It stayed home. What's Janice doing? It went to work. Who drove here? It drove me. Can you hear how disrespectful that sounds? How do you think God Almighty feels when you call him an it? It showed up tonight. Ooh, man. Holy Spirit was strong. It showed up. He's not an it. He's God Almighty. He showed up. Okay? I, I can't overemphasize that because I, I want us to have proper respect for every member of the Trinity. So that just starts out with that. So you don't kind of forget that. Um, I just want to make sure uh, I'm not missing something uh, here. Okay. Um, and the Holy Spirit's job is to perfect us. Okay. Now that word perfect does not mean I do not make an error. Okay. The word perfect used in scripture in this way means to complete so I know this, uh, this is not a, a absolutely great thing, but I'm trying to make a circle with my fingers. That is a non-perfect circle, and that is a perfect circle. When I close that gap, when I finish it, when I complete it, now it's perfect. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit's job is to make up what is lacking, to give us what we need, to complete us. And in that completion, we are perfected. Anybody see, uh, I, I'm, I, I've seen, again, I think in pictures and different things. There's a movie, and it was about a high school here in Virginia, and um, Remember the Titans was the name of it. It was the first integrated school in Virginia. How many of y'all saw that movie? And they, they're going to play for the, like the level before champions or something, and um, they basically we're saying, I think their star player got hurt or something. And the coach is sort of like giving them an out. And the, one of the star players said, excuse me, coach. But at the beginning of the season, you said that anything less than perfection wasn't going to be good enough. And he said, I'm not perfect and none of us in here are perfect. But as a team, we are perfect because they had not lost. They had not lost all year. Were mistakes made in games? Absolutely. Did people make dumb plays? Absolutely. Did they miss their assignments? Absolutely. But as a team, they were complete because they had not lost. And that speech sort of is like, yeah, see, he's talking about what the Holy Spirit does. Am I going to make a mistake? Sure. Is the church going to make mistakes? Huge ones. But the Holy Spirit comes so that as a team, we can do the will of God. 
You follow that logic? Okay, I want you to get that logic. Because what follows is how the Holy Spirit completed the work of Jesus Christ. I've, I've mentioned this many times and I've never outlined it for you. So now it's outlined. Luke one fifty five. And I'm going to read these for us. And I'm reading them so they'll be on the thing. I, I would rather you guys read. But listen to Luke one fifty five. Okay, I'm in the right book. I'm in the right chapter. And that is not the right verse. Sorry. Let me back up because... Uh, It should be 35. That's what happened. And the angel... That's why I was having trouble finding it. Because I was looking in the wrong spot. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the conception of Christ was completed by the Holy Spirit. Now, please don't ask me to explain that, not because I don't want to, it's because I can't. I don't have a clue how he did that. But what I know is the seed planted in Mary was put there by the hands of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus began to grow in Mary's womb like every human grows. I can't even say the words, from God and and her egg. So God was fully human and fully God at the same time. Now, we just live in a politer time where, where we even are embarrassed to say this, but the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying that it was an, you know, an act that we, we wouldn't talk about, but the Holy Spirit placed Jesus in Mary's womb somehow, but not just put, it wasn't like something conceived outside of Mary's body and put in. He created Jesus with whatever from God and the egg of Mary to create Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm struggling saying it just because it's embarrassing to say. In this big of a group mixed company. But Luke one thirty five tells us what happened. Okay. Um, and then Acts 10.38. Man, I hope all these are right now. I'm afraid I miscopied some things. Acts 10.38. The ministry of Christ was done... Uh, by the Holy Spirit. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Wait, I thought Jesus is the second person in Trinity. He is, but Philippians tells us he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself even to obedience to death on the cross. So everything Jesus did, and you've heard me say that, the proof is in Acts 10.38, what Jesus did, he did because the Holy Spirit was upon him. That is why Jesus said, the works I do, you can do these plus greater works. Because why? He knew the Holy Spirit would come to us. Right? You following that? Okay. What has happened is we've deified the humanity of Christ. 
which is dangerous. Isaiah 61. And verse 1 and verse 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He set me to, set me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn. Look at verse 3. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they, a faint spirit means one that wears out and, and passes out easily, it gets tired. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Those verses are letting us understand that Jesus did not act as God when he was in his flesh on the earth. That it is, in verse 1 is where it's the most blatant there. The Spirit of God is upon me to preach. If Jesus had just come as God and acted as God, he would have needed the Spirit because he is God. Now this makes logical sense, but we don't think through these issues sometimes. And, and I, I like to say it this way just to help make the point. If Jesus did what he did as God and he died as God, then you are hopelessly lost. He had to do that as a man because Adam failed as a man. He had to succeed as a man. So, again, back to Philippians. He emptied himself and became totally subject to the will of God and the power of the Spirit in his life. And everything he did, he did as a man. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I grant you, in John it says he, the Spirit was given to him without measure. Because he had no sin. There was no, nothing he was filled himself. He wasn't selfish. There was nothing he filled himself up with except the will and the Spirit of God. So he was, he was I want to say free in the Spirit, but, but he had freedom of, of use of the Spirit because of he wouldn't misuse the ministry of the Spirit in his life. In Psalm 4, 6, and 7... His high station as, uh, is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than, you, uh, than they have when their grain and wine abound. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's verse 6 and 7. No, it's not. Uh, there, yeah, this is about the high station of Christ, and then uh, this is about him being exalted. I may have mis, uh, misdone that verse, but um, in Hebrews one eight, it also refers to his high station. He says there, in, in, that, yeah, this is about that. Um, never mind. Hebrews one eight says this but of the son he says your throne O lord is forever and ever it's the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom he's been exalted more than the joy when they're full of blessing he's above all of that and in hebrews 1 8 it mentions again that he is uh he has a scepter of righteousness and his throne is above the heavens, that is referring to Christ. Um, so his high station is a work of the Holy Spirit. God's done that for him. 
Hebrews 9.14, and this may be kind of a little revelation for you. You've probably read it, but didn't notice what it says. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works serve the living God? He died in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody could go. The cross was not a suicide mission. He was doing that at the will of God, and the Holy Spirit had to fill him in order for him to offer himself on the cross. Romans 1, 4, and 8, and 11, it's about his resurrection. Romans 1, 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it mentions here the resurrection and that being proof of him being the son of God. But now check out 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you who are raised, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And this is a verse we used to say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're, you've not been raised in Christ yet. And so, 8.11, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. And there's the problem in Psalm. It was Psalm 45. It got misread. Sorry about that. Let me go back to that psalm, the high station of Christ. That should be Psalm 45 if you want to correct your paper, verses 6 and 7. And, and yeah, it make any sense. And then when you're standing here, you get all embarrassed and you flush red and you don't know what to do. So I look back and I found it in my notes. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness Beyond your companions. So Psalm 45 verses 6 and 7. Show us the exalted position of Christ. And um, it says that God has done that. And anointed him. Which is the job of the Holy Spirit. To anoint. He is the oil of God. Right? To anoint. And so his high station. His death. His resurrection. And. Acts 2, which I read this morning, the session and rule of Christ is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And that's verses 32 and 33. Um, And I may back up a little bit even there. Um, But 32 says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father The promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus poured the Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost. And uh, uh, all the signs began and salvation started. So the session and rule of Christ began on the day of Pentecost. And that's there. And in every instance in Christ's life, the Spirit is present. Now, I don't tell you that to ruin your image of Christ. And I I just put that blurb in there. We've deified the humanity of Christ. Every cult has two things in common. I'll do this second one first. They have another book other than the Bible that they exalt to the same position as the Bible. 
It's the Book of Mormon. It's a wrong translation of Scripture. Um, it's the teachings of another man. Whatever it is, and they say, "See, that's you don't get it because all you got is the Bible." But we got this other book that really tells us. And so that's one thing's common in every cult. It might be the teaching of the leader of the cult. But the second thing every cult has in common is they're wrong about who Jesus is. Every one of them. Excuse me. Mormons think that Jesus is the brother of Satan. Um, believe he evolved uh, from Adam. And that he dies and comes back and all this stuff. And then he finally achieved this perfection. And they, they got a lot of other errors. But they're wrong about who Jesus is. So they'll tell you, oh, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus. The question is, which Jesus do you believe in? It's not Jesus of the Bible. We had some Jehovah Witnesses in our house because Jesus is not Jehovah to the Jehovah Witnesses. Only God the Father is Jehovah. And Jesus is just something else. I don't know what, but he's something else. He's not God of very God. And there's no Holy Spirit. It, Jehovah is it. And so uh, I had a couple of Jehovah Witnesses in my house. Um, my roommate and his wife were there at the time from, from seminary. And we, at the end of our discussion, which we... we uh, Messed up the trainee and the trainer wouldn't let us continue. Um, so we said, could we pray? And uh, and he said, no, you don't pray to the same God I do. We said, well, that's the first right thing you said all night. <laughs> because our God is not the God of the Bible. And everybody is wrong about, every cult is wrong about Jesus. The Christian church is in danger of de- deifying the humanity of Jesus. And I've illustrated this different ways. And I've, I've often wondered... As a kid, did Jesus scrape his knee? Did he bust his toe against the, you know, cabinet or something, whatever you had back then? Did he ever stump his toe on a rock? Probably. Did he go, I'm God, don't do that to me? <laughs> no, it hurt. And I, I told you before, I know, I'm going to tell you again. At my school, you had to do college service to help keep down the cost, and my job was cleaning toilets, and they told us to clean the bathroom, and they told us to do our job as if Jesus were going to use whatever we were doing. If I was cleaning a window, make sure it was so clean that Jesus would want to look out of it. If you're cataloging cards in the library back then before computers, because I went, you know, in the dark ages, make sure you catalog so Jesus could find the book he wanted to read, and I'm in there cleaning toilets. So it, it hit me. I got to clean this toilet as if Jesus wanted to use a bathroom here. And I said that to a young woman. She went, and I went what? She said, I, I just can't imagine that. I said, well, you think you went 33 years without going to the restroom? <laughs> now, I don't want to diminish who Jesus is. But folks, he was like us. And he did that so we could have hope that we could be like him. You've got to get a hold of that. And so what we just said, the next section is how the Holy Spirit completes us. 1 John 4, 17, we are like Jesus. I didn't write things out beside it because I didn't want to give it away. 1 John 4, 17. Yes, sir. What about Christmas? Oh, Hare Krishna? Yeah, they don't claim Jesus at all. They're Buddha. Uh, they're, um, they're um, what's the word? Hindus. They got three billion gods. They just add Jesus to it. He's just one of many gods. He's not the, see, Jesus is 
the only God. He is part of the Trinity who is the only God. There's no God but him. Hindus believe in three million or billion. I think it's three billion gods. So what's one more? Sure, we'll add Jesus to the list. Jesus never comes next. He's only, he's God alone or he's not God at all. So thank you. But yeah, that, that was another one um, that we could look. Buddha didn't claim to be God. He claimed to get enlightenment. Um, but the Buddhists think of Jesus as a man like Buddha. Um, that he got enlightened. First John 4.17 uh, says this to us. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Do you notice that Trinity of Trinities in there? As he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. What makes us like Jesus in this world? My struggle to become perfect? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? So as Jesus is, so are we in this world. The Holy Spirit lives in us just as Jesus was in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. So are we. So he completes us. And that's kind of like the theme verse. John 1.13 and Titus 3. So in the Gospel of John, I know y'all have given up flipping around in your Bibles, haven't you? I'm looking it up as I go to John 1.13. And you know I'm going to read it so you can do that. That's cool. Um, says this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What's that referring to? Verse 12, but all who believed in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're born of, of God. And Titus 3, 4, and 6 Right. Jesus said in John 3, you, you had to be born of the water and of the spirit. We've got to be born again in the spirit. And then uh, Titus 3, 4, and 6 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in our righteousness, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So the verse in John says we have the power to become sons of God. Titus is telling us how it happens. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is through Jesus the Holy Spirit comes. We don't pray the Holy Spirit to come to us. We pray to Jesus to pour the Holy Spirit out on us. Acts 2, Titus 3, okay? So the Spirit comes to live in us. He lived in Jesus. He lives in us. The Spirit completes us in that way. We do ministry. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That was a whole sermon this morning. The true focus is we focus that what we do, we do in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength enabling and, and mindset. And the high station, uh, it, we are like Jesus because the Bible says in Ephesians, I didn't look the verse up, that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. So we are sitting with him already in heavenly places. I should have looked that up. It's in Ephesians. Somebody will get that reference and throw, yell it out later. Romans 8, 11, his death on the cross, 8, 13, sorry, his death on the cross. It says there, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is through the Holy Spirit that empowers us to put to death the deeds of the body, 
Not the old nature. He had to kill the old nature. But sin dwells in us, according to Romans 7. And so it is through the Spirit, Colossians 3, 3. You are dead and your life is here with Christ and God. My old nature is dead. Verse 5 of Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, the deeds that remain in this body. We live in a sinful world and a sinful body. In a, in a, not a sinful body, but a fallen body. And so we... We have to die with Christ on the cross. The Spirit lives in us so that we can uh, overcome sin. Our resurrection, Romans eight eleven. He who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. We've already read that verse. And then my absolute favorite, which is really separate, is Jude tw- uh, Jude twenty, uh, the book of Jude, verse twenty. There's only one chapter, and there's the verses. Uh, actually, it's this, uh, it's stuff that I, uh, I want you to see. You have light on the path, the word, and a personal presence in the dark, the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jude 20 says. And we'll come back and look at that in a second. Look at Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. We build ourselves up in the faith. We pray in the Spirit. If all we have is the Scripture principles... We become a fossilized corpse. We talk about people being rigid. They're rigid because they got the right belief, but they don't have any life in them. What gives my body the ability to stand upright? Thank you. The skeleton. My entire body is formed around my skeleton. And if, I, if you break a leg or something, you're going to fall down. Anybody ever eaten boneless chicken? You ever see one of those dudes when it's alive? <laughs> Nobody eats a gourmet meal of jellyfish, do we? <laughs> the structure is the bones, but if all you got are dry bones, that's Halloween, right? But if all you have is the, is the spirit, without having the arrangement of the bones, it leads to error. Because we don't have that structure in place. Okay? But if you don't have either, if you don't have either one, of course you're a mess. But you gotta have both. If you don't have one or the other in your Christian experience, legalists tend to the bones. Um, our more excited friends, whatever term we wanna give them, we say charismatic, but I'm charismatic, by the way. God gifted me, He gifted you. That's all the word means, gifted. Y'all following me? All right. So, but if that's all you have and you don't have the structure, you know, then that could, you can go to error because you're, you're built on an experience and an emotion rather than a structure. If all you got is a structure, man, you're just legalistic. You need to keep these rules. Well, you don't have the power to keep the rules because you're not walking in the spirit. You see what I'm saying? You've got to have both. It's a two-wheel chariot. If you take one wheel off the chariot, all you do is spin in circles. Right? If you want to get somewhere, you've got to have both. You've got to have the structure and the spirit. You say, eh, I'm not so sure you're interpreting that right. Okay, let me take you to a well in Samaria. And this woman is coming out at noonday with a jug and looks at Jesus and he says, give me water to drink. She said, you being a Jew asking me a Samaritan for water and you're a man, I'm a woman. Well, you, you dare talk to me like that? What kind of dude are you? He said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, well, you said that right. You got five of them. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. 
My people say we ought to pray in this mountain. You people say we got to pray up there in Jerusalem. Which one's right? He said, neither. Those who come to God must worship in and in. Thank you. A lot of people think marriage are 50-50. People read that passage, they think 50% spirit, 50% truth. No, it's 100-100, both those things. If you're in your marriage and you only give them 50%, you're in trouble. You better be giving 100%, both of you, right? Marriage isn't 50-50. It's not a partnership. It's a covenant. I'm going to give everything I got to this. With Christ, with God, when he says spirit and truth, it doesn't mean, yeah, we've got to have a little bit of spirit, but we've got to have a little bit of truth. No, we've got to have total truth. We've got to have total spirit. We have to go where God takes us. We have to do what God wants. That's how we get answers to prayer because, God, I am totally sold out to what you taught and I'm totally sold out to the power of the Spirit enabling me to do it. I'm not going to do it in my own power. Let, let me give you something that's not on your paper real quick. Um, the wise man, wise man of the world said this, and then I'll give you the last little bit and we'll pray together. Um, and he said this, there are three ways to do ministry. There is the professional, there's the devotional, and there's the spiritual. And when I say spiritual, I mean operate in the power of the Spirit. The professional, the devil ignores. That's the guys that knows how to do like this thing and that thing and the other thing. And he's got this professional idea. If we do it this way, it'll look good, it'll be slick. That's how we need to do it. And our, in the Southern Baptist world, a lot of churches are in danger of doing that. Then there's the devotional. A lot of churches have been doing this. And this is from the beginning of time we've done this. But the devotional is, I find in the word a, a verse that, oh, that just, that warmed my heart. Oh, that was just a blessing. You just walk around Hobby Lobby. You can do devotions in Hobby Lobby. All right, Janice gave me that joke the other day. She said, I didn't have time for a quiet time, so I went to Hobby Lobby, wrote, walked around, read all the plaques. Um, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, by the way. So a devotional ministry is one that we come and the Lord is our shepherd. Isn't that wonderful? He comforts us in our, in our problems. God bless you. Now, does God comfort us? Yes. Please, I'm not making fun. I'm just giving an attitude here, I hope. I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm so afraid of being misunderstood. The spiritual is applying God's truth to the need and walking the power of the spirit and knowing what God said and obeying it and encouraging and ministering to one another that we're encouraged in love and good works and we want to love people, we want to serve God, we want to do this together as a family. Satan ignores the professional, he laughs at the, at the devotional, but he trembles at the spiritual. When we begin to call out the, the devil for who he is, when we begin to say, God, we want you and nothing else and nothing less. We will not settle for second best. We want, I didn't mean to rhyme that, but that was good. We, we, we want your will and your word and your way in our lives. And not only in my life, in my family's life, in the life of our church, our church family. We want to serve you, we want to love you, and we want to take Stanton for Christ. A man named John Knox was a slave rower on a slave galley ship. And he was being forced to row past Scotland, and he cried out, God, give me Scotland or I die. And he got out of that slavery, and he went to Scotland and preached the gospel all over this place. Do we have that kind of passion? St. Patrick's Day is coming up. And I said to Janice, it was another holiday the world's just taken and made it to a drunk fest. And so she just said, well, what'd St. Patrick do? And I said, well, legendary. He went there and drove out all the snakes, but... That's a misunderstanding of what he did. He drove Satan out of Ireland. <laughs>
And Satan being the old serpent, they say he drove out the serpent and it got messed up in the saying that he got all the snakes out of Ireland. No, he drove out the devil. That's what St. Patrick says. Not about wearing green. By the way, Catholics wear green. Protestants wear orange. Don't forget, that's why I'm reason that's my favorite color. Okay? So don't wear green on St. Patrick's Day. Wear your orange. When somebody says, say, I ain't Catholic. If you are Catholic, wear green, by all means. But uh, that's fine if you are Catholic. But if you're not, don't do it. All right. So, so what, what I'm saying is we need to be, have a spiritual mindset. To get answers to prayer, we've got to be walking with God in the Spirit. And back in Galatians 5, it says, If we walk in the flesh, we fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will put to death the deeds of the flesh. And it says, which are these? And it lists them all. It says, but if we walk in the Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Not, not fruits. Fruit. With every drop of fruit comes everything in the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, patience, long-suffering, self-control. There's no law. We have that empowering us, okay? So what do you do? you got to get in tune with God, all right? We start out uh, on the first page uh, by saying that um, we, we have to have the right motive and mindset and will of God. We have to have these two conditions. We have to be in good relation and pray in the Spirit. So if we're going to have the mindset of God, if we're going to, have the, if we're going to pray in the Spirit, we got to get in tune with God. Um, this morning, I so enjoyed, I'm going to go ahead and embarrass her, Miss Sherry playing the saxophone. Y'all heard that this morning? Because when you play an instrument like saxophone in a church band especially or that kind of thing or a tuba, uh, that was a joke for some folks in here, um, you, go, you, you, you don't play like the melody of the song. You know, um, I don't know, um, I, I was going to think of some song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So she's not going, so a lot of times she has to go, you know, she just got a note she hits every so many spaces in the and this morning she got to play along with the song like almost the whole song and I was just like I'm sorry I almost went into the 60s there and said digging on what she was doing it was it was just good I was just hearing the saxophone playing like man it was so cool I loved it well guess what she didn't walk up there and just pick up that saxophone and just go and just mash a few buttons and try to figure it out she got in she got it tuned up to the piano first she made sure that her A was an A. Is that the note y'all tune it to? Make sure it's right. C. Sorry, my wife has C. All right. So sorry, I don't know. Um, so my wife played the flute, and uh, she probably doesn't like me telling y'all that. So you got to get it tuned to the other instruments, or else if you, if it's not all tuned to that common note, everybody's going to be off, right? And it's going to sound like a cacophony instead of an orchestra. If you're going to pray, you got to get in tune with God. Or you'll be out of tune with Him. Right? You with me? So that's what this is about. Look at Revelation 1, 4 through 5. Oh, man. I know, y'all thought Revelation was just about end time stuff. In a sense, you're right. But Revelation 1, 4 and 5 says this. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. That's who Jesus is. 
The firstborn does not mean first in order. It means the progenitor. So he is the one who raises all people from the dead. Not only was he first to raise from the dead, but he is the one who's going to cause everybody else to be raised from the dead. All right? And so here the scripture is telling us who Jesus is. um, And he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Does Jesus rule Putin? Does Jesus rule King John Un? Does Jesus rule Trump? Thank you. I thought those were wicked dictators that we had to fear. No, they are accomplishing the will of God unknowingly. You say, how can that evil do that? Because you know where the world's headed? To an end. And that isn't just going to one day we all wake up and everything be butterflies and flowers and then suddenly the end come. It's going to get ugly. So we have to stay faithful and we have to be in tune with Jesus. All right. Sorry, I'm preaching a sermon now that I don't need to preach. Look at Revelation 5. In verse 11 to 13. Hang in there. Then I look and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth And under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. If you want to get in tune with God, you better understand who God is. And those verses help locate who God is. They help put us in that right mindset. You can you can read Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret, but I put a sentence here. Chapter 4 is transitional. In chapter 1, we see Jesus among the candlesticks, which are the churches, and he holds the stars, the pastors of those churches, in his hand. So Jesus is among the churches holding the pastors in his hand. All right? And then we transition from seeing him amongst the churches to seeing him on a throne in chapter 4. Chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation... Is God pulling the curtain back so you can see what worship looks like in heaven? And in heaven, they never cease to say things like what we read here uh, in in chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing... And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. The elders fell down and worshipped. And then they all get up and do it again. I love in chapter 4 and down in verse um, 8. You can do a lot of worshiping out of Revelation 4 and 5. And the four living creatures, these of them with six wings... Full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. And that sounds familiar. Oh yeah. Many hundreds of years before that. There was a guy named Isaiah. And 
He said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And his robe filled the temple and above him stood the seraphim. And each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to the other saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And several hundred years later, John gets a glimpse of heaven and he sees seraphim with six wings flying around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight in heaven, there are seraphim with six wings. With two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. And they fly around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over and over and over and over and over. Some of y'all don't like to sing worship songs. You call them 7-Eleven songs. Because you say the same seven words 11 times. That's a travesty to make fun of the way angels worship God in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, and they are doing it right now and they never stop doing it. Let's get in tune with God. Let's, let's get where he is. All right, Psalm 86. We need something outside of us. We really need something outside of us to be in us. In Psalm 86, we need something from outside that should say God has all the adages we need. Listen to Psalm 86 and verse 17. Show me the sign of your favor that those who hear me may see and be put to shame because the Lord have helped me and comforted me. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Don't require God to give you lollipops. I don't know why God didn't do this. I don't know why God didn't do that. We ask God for lollipops. And he says here, show me the sign of your favor that those who have uh, who hate me may see and be put to shame because you lord lord have helped me and comforted me it's enough that god comforts us we don't have to have him do a lollipop miracle for us if in my affliction i am comforted with the peace and knowledge that god is present i'm going to die anyway that's all i need to know is that god is with me all right There are two wrong perspectives. We either concentrate on sin or we overlook sin. Last week we covered how to deal with sin. Sometimes we just look at sin. Oh, I'm a sinner. I'm terrible. That is a false pride. That is a false way of showing pride. When you say, oh, I'm horrible and God can't use me. You're saying I'm so bad even God can't fix me. Or if you say, oh, no, man, I'm redeemed. I'm blood washed. I don't sin. I'm walking in victory. That's an overconfidence. We we will sin, but we don't have to sin and we, we can't overlook our sin. Uh, I, I just have some verses here. Psalm 19, which I, 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 I want to just say you can read, but I, I want you to hear them. Psalm 19, 12 to 14 says this. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden fa- faults. Keep back your servant from, also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of, the great, trans, of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I need to pray that, and you hear me pray that many times uh, before I preach, 
that the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth be acceptable in sight. In 1 John 1, 5 through 10, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. For if we walk in the light, he is in the, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. If we confess our sin, agree with God that we have sin and the sin we have. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. Because he said we are sinners and that, that we, we, we have sinned. So what we need to do is not concentrate on our sin, confess it and concentrate on the Savior. It's what they're doing in Revelation. It's what it's telling us to do in Psalm. It's what it's telling us to do here. Deal with your sin and concentrate on God. And then Isaiah 57, 15, there is a timeliness to our confession. For thus says the Lord, the one who... For, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite. If we don't bow before God, he can't lift us up. If we come to God upright in ourselves, he's got to knock us down because we've got to come to him with that contrite spirit. But when we do, he lifts us up. And so... To get in tune with God is to understand who God is, understand who I am, and to have that right perspective. Okay. Um, I, yesterday, uh, we had prayer meeting here at church, and I, we might have a few more than that. If you got one of these yesterday, you, don't, you probably don't need to or want to take these. Can somebody make sure at least every family has one of these? I need somebody to pass them out. Thanks, Frank. If you'll just help me there. And I'm just going to pass them out because it's a little cheat sheet shortcut. This is the outline of our prayer time yesterday. And as they're passing out, let me tell you what we did, and then you can use this. Um, I've jabbered too long tonight. So um, first of all, we have adoration. We, we just broke it down, adoration, confession, and supplication. And under adoration, I listed the Hebrew and English names of God and the translation of what that name means in English on the right. Um, and, and when I say I did it, I gave Katie a book about the names of God, and I said put names on there. So that's what she did for us. So anybody else, you can just take it. If you don't want it, you don't need it, but, but you can take it. And so what I want you to do is go, go home tonight, tomorrow, sometime this week, along with the other homework that's in your syllabus, and, and just begin to worship God on this. I mentioned it in one of the services this morning. I prayed through that yesterday. We, we said we'd give ourselves 15 minutes. And I prayed through that list and just... And, and I didn't say, thank you, God. Uh, let me just say, Elohim, that you are the powerful God. I said, Lord, you are Elohim. You are the powerful God. Make it a, a declarative statement. And so I prayed through that. Oh, man. And I, I was like, that's so great. And I looked at my watch, and I've been praying for two minutes. I had 13 minutes left. So I prayed through it again. And then God started to open my heart, and I prayed through it again. And then at the end of 15 minutes, I didn't want to stop. Because God was just opening up the application of who he is to me, for me. And it was just my experience. I'm just sharing my experiences. We were doing this, everybody out loud at once, which is really unusual for us Baptists. That was difficult, but we did it. 
And so, like Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Uh, if you look back there up on the wall in the very, very back of the church, that's a banner. And so, when back in the old days, you would carry a banner like the Scots would carry their, their clan banner. Um, armies carry a flag or their division or their whatever uh, banners. And so you know to get to that banner. And in the old days of war, you would follow the banner into battle. And there's a story that one time they sent word up to the front that said, the men have fallen behind, ask the standard bearer, the banner bearer, to slow down. And the word came back, no, you speed up. God is way out in front of us, and he is the banner. And Song of Solomon says, his banner over me is love. He's put a banner above us that says, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. I'm So when I prayed, Lord, you are Jehovah Nisi. You are my banner. He's the standard. He's who I'm after. He's the one I follow. And his banner over me is love. And man, God, you love me before creation of the world. You said you would come and die for me. You knew me before you made me, before you formed me in my mother's womb. And, you, and all of a sudden, I was just worshiping God like that with each one. So I, I, I just share that kind of experience so you understand what I'm after. You could just read through this, but don't let yourself stop. Go back through it and back through it and back through it. And just say, you are our peace. You are our righteousness. You are our shepherd. And just pause on that and start meditating on that. Then those are the scriptures under confession. Just read through those and ask God, show me my secret sin, as we read in Psalm here a minute ago. Keep me from, show me my presumptuous sin so that I can repent. And if God opens other things up to you, that's great too. And then on the back is some supplication. These were suggestions. Pray for me as I preach that my sermons would be biblical and effective. I want them to be based in the Bible, but man, I want them to count for some. Um, that we, as this was for our whole church, that we'd minister to our community, that God would send revival to our church. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for signs of revival. That seven souls a week could get saved, so we'd have one a day. Uh, and, and so I'm starting to pray for that. Begin uh, that our discipleship, our mentoring, our teaching would get better and better and better, and that the church would have unity. Those are some good things we can pray for, and these are just supplications. Those aren't confessions. Those are asking God. So God may add to your list. So I just give that to you to help you out.